Welcome to Muffliato, a Harry Potter podcast where we fill your ears to prevent you from hearing nearby conversations. I'm Josh. And I'm Blake. And today, Josh and I get tucked into bed by Creature as we continue our journey through Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix and come down to the sixth chapter, The Noble and Most Ancient House of Black. Now, Josh, this is not just the sixth chapter of this book, but this is the 100th chapter of the Harry Potter series. The 100th chapter, which is quite impressive. So we've done over 100 episodes, but at least of this main kind of these main, I guess, chapter episodes, chapter breakdowns, we've done a hundred of them. That's pretty impressive, Josh. That's right. We we have uh, climbed the, the the summit and are descending on the other side now. We've done over <laughs> half the, the, the chapters in the books, even though we are only at the very beginning of the fifth book, but we are yes. halfway there. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're at that kind of almost we're thinking, yes. And then we're at that false peak, right? That you look up and you mm. think, oh, that's the peak. That's the top of the mountain. And then you get there. And there's another peak beyond that, right? And uh, and so I feel like sometimes, you know, when I look at like, oh man, we've done so much, that's great. And we're nearly near the finish line. It's like, oh, but this back half, these books are so much longer. And so uh, there's a lot more to get into and a lot more. But funny enough, this 100th chapter isn't, isn't all that like amazing in the sense of, you know, crazy plot moving forward action things like that mm. um often if we look at tv series you know episodes that get up to that hundredth episode and if you think that's pretty impressive um when you know shows might have say 21 to to sort of 23 24 episodes per season you know that's over four seasons and that usually that that hundredth episode, sometimes they do fun things and the writers have a lot of fun with it. I don't know if J.K. Rowling knew this was the hundredth chapter, but I don't know. doesn't seem like there's as much kind of crazy stuff going on as uh, as might have been fun to put in the hundredth chapter. Yeah, it's, it's almost like she didn't realize that 20 years after originally writing the series people would be going through a podcast one chapter at a time and make a big deal of it. Exactly. She almost thought that nothing's that important about, say, the sixth chapter of one of the biggest books and things like yeah. that in the series. And that really, you know, this is just the beginning build of that story. And it's, you know, sure, whatever. And the action will come a little bit later, not specifically on the 100th chapter because people aren't freaks. But maybe, you know, maybe that's what she was. <laughs> that, that's what she, freaks. <laughs> maybe that's what she was thinking. Who knows? Uh, but yeah, this is not TV. This is this is not TV. This is a, a, a chapters and by chapters we go through this. And uh, But it is a kind of a special thing to now jump into triple digits when we're breaking down these chapter numbers at the start of the podcast. Definitely, definitely. It, it it gives uh it gives me some hope it warms my soul to see um one instead of zero before uh as the first of the three digits Blake yes I remember I remember and this is a little bit of fun podcast history going back a, you know a few years now because we've been doing this for for a few years is when we were sitting down and Josh and I planned out a lot of what we were going to do before we actually started recording right and i don't i don't think much it was like much that. to our wives um joy and delight in making fun of us that yes we planned out a lot that, before we got that we were planning out and they were like when are you actually going to start and <laughs> 
Hey, look at us now. We're at least a hundred episodes, a hundred <laughs> chapters into this. We've started and we're and we're doing good. But yeah, I remember they were kind of like laughing at us for for just planning. But we, I feel like it wasn't this like, you know, perfectionism. We're never going to start this podcast because we want to get it perfect. Like we just both have high standards and we kind of wanted to get it right. And I remember I, uh, we were discussing like that. How do we, how do we frame or how do we structure our titles of our episodes? Mm. And we were like, oh yeah, we'll just go number one, number two, number three, number four, number nine, 10, and then, you know, do that. And, and then we sort of talked about those three digits there just being consistent, you know, three, three digits, zero, zero, one, and zero, zero, two. And how finally now we're up to those actually using all three digits. Um, and so mm. I'm, I'm very happy um, seeing that one there and it's going to be 101 and 102. And yeah, I, uh, I, I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, it's uh, it's something that if we had never gotten to 100, it would have felt a bit discouraging that we had spent all that time doing like zero zero one. Now we now we can really be done. We're we're good now. Everything <laughs> everything from this on forward is gravy. It's all good. And that and that's the end of the podcast, folks. We're finishing it with this glorious chapter of the noble and most ancient house of black. <laughs> that has been Muffliato Podcast. Peace out. See you later. Uh, no, that is uh, of course just uh, just a joke. We're uh, we're gonna you'll 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 get one oh one next week. Fear not, fear not. Uh, and uh, and we'll go from there. But maybe let's let's jump into a chapter summary at least to to hear what happens in this uh, very thrilling, gripping chapter six. After spending his first night at Twelve Grimaud Place, Harry, Hermione, and Ron wake up to hear that there is important cleaning to be done. They rush to eat their breakfast and find a parlor full of doxies. Uh, cleaning the doxies involves a lot of magical work, including some practical work as well, at the guidance of none other than Gilderoy Lockhart. Oh, Gilderoy's back. Sorry. <laughs> Old Gilderoy makes a reappearance. <laughs> oh, man. Midway through the morning, Mundungus Fletcher arrives again with a load of stolen cauldrons. This sends Mrs. Weasley into a rage. And while she is preparing lunch in the kitchen, the house elf creature makes an appearance again and introduces himself to Harry. Introduces himself might be a stretch, but he mm, comes and sees yeah. Harry. This house elf creature is unlike any house elf Harry has ever seen, um, specifically because of his unwavering devotion, not just to his living master, but to his deceased master, Mrs. Black. Uh, while the house elf is somewhat contemptuous with Sirius, he remains incredibly loyal to the orders he has been receiving from the portrait on the wall. On the wall near Mrs. Black's portrait is a family tree which says and records the most noble and ancient house of Black. Um, there are several marks on this family tree which show all the people who have been disowned and have dishonored this most ancient and noble house. One of the names which has been blasted off is of course Sirius Black which he seems somewhat proud of and another name that is raised is that of Regulus, Sirius's brother and former Death Eater. Regulus did leave the Death Eaters, but by the time that he was wanting to do so, it was far too late. As the Order of the Phoenix continues to clean out Number 12 Grimmel Place, they remain and are continually interrupted by a creature trying to rescue all of the discarded family heirlooms, uh, many of them being uh, cursed or bewitched objects. Uh, and finally, at the end of the day, uh, Mrs. Weasley reminds Harry that it is tomorrow 
when he will finally have his Ministry of Magic hearing. The next day, Mr. Weasley will escort him to his hearing, and only there will he see Professor Dumbledore, which makes Harry upset that he still has not seen his headmaster all summer. So yeah, we, we talk a lot about the, the Black family um, in this uh, in this chapter, right? We, we hear a little bit more of the history, and, and you know, that's probably when we see that the Black family, they're not a nice family um they you know are sort of the pure bloods they sort of their chins are up right and they're quite snobbish and mm. you know maybe that is a, a big theme right of the of this chapter specifically um but that sort of legacy that prejudice that they have and and i don't know you know that could work in quite nicely there um but you know as they look into that history you know sirius is really this complete different he's a unit unicorn right um uh him and uh his i think uh un- uncle um alfred alfred um uh i believe is his uncle that is also uh sort of burnt off this family tree right mm. yeah not only uh that but but also uh nymphadora tonks's mother yes yep andromeda is that right did i get that right? i think i think so yeah i mean there's you know obviously there's this l- cool oh now Talk about awesome wallpaper. Um, talk mm. about awesome family tree, right? How great would it be to have one of these in, in each of your homes? You know, like just to, to go back and see your family. I think this is real cool magic, but obviously it gets a little bit sad when it starts, you know, these, you know, burning and getting rid of these uh, these portraits and parts of the family tree. Um, I mean, even Malfoy's on there, right? And, um, you know, we see people like Bellatrix, uh, Lestrange and things like that. And so it's just, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to see that, like from Sirius's point of view, whilst we all look and go, man, that's a great spot for the Order of the Phoenix, you know, cool, this is awesome, a biggish house, lots of rooms, um, what a great place. He must just be kind of like, he's trapped here like this is like azkaban for him in a way it's his prison and he does not have happy memories here um he's he will be probably quite depressed um and when there's not a whole lot of action going on and and you know the the you know harry and ron and hermione go off to school he's going to be more so alone and it's going to be even harder for him yeah it's it's interesting would you rather that you've raised um, would you rather be in Azkaban or at uh, at this at this house? And yeah. and sadly for Sirius, that would be a probably uh, at least a, um, a a real decision for a little bit. I think ultimately he would choose choose the house, but maybe only yes. just, only just, yeah, only just. Um, I feel like you know you're, you're dealing with um, a lot of trauma there, maybe. Uh, but mm. it was it's cool when we learn how. You know, his uh, and and by that, I mean, Harry's grandparents, right? Uh, James's parents were very open and inviting Sirius into their family. And, you know, I feel like that's where he would have received this loving acceptance. And we kind of look at how then Molly and Arthur Weasley have then been that for Harry, right? And and invited them Mm. into their home to be you know hey we're showing you love and acceptance and so you know it's just this level of like i'm sure you know harry you know harry and Ginny, you know when they're like parents and the kids are off to to school they would be that kind of family that would just be like invite your friends over have them stay over here you know and and we want to be there look out for the needy people you know and invite well do you know who they do that to like they they invite over Teddy Lupin all the time, right? 
exactly. said that he practically yep. lives here, right? That's the yeah. line that's used in the, in that epilogue, yeah. And so I think yeah. that's just a real special moment, right? When we think about all these mm. connections, right? There's trauma, but within that sadness, there's like a, there's an opportunity for love to still come in. Um, obviously, mm. love being a very great theme of this of this whole series, um, and then uh, especially you know at the forefront, Dumbledore being a big promoter of love and and explaining to how why that's important to Harry and and why that's unfortunate that Voldemort has done away with that part of himself. Um, but here we see just that connection between you know James is. Um, uh, a family um, supporting Sirius and then now um, the Weasleys supporting Harry and then yeah in the future Harry supporting Teddy Lupin it's this really cool kind of pass it along um, mm. and um, and be kind uh, to, to those and so that's kind of a, a really deep moment so sorry if I've you know made those listeners uh, driving if I've, I've made you tear up a little just by bringing these thoughts to your mind but uh, it is pretty special it's pretty cool yeah and, and it really is a wonderful juxtaposition how on one side you have um, these these blood relationships, which are um, are very pure and very uh, focused and uh, and very um, well recorded and looked after, yeah. whereas the actual family relationships are are anything but all those things, right? It's it's filled yeah. with anger and strife and bitterness, yeah. um, and that's really a family legacy. And then on the other hand, you have these kind of outcasts and 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 nobodies and and even. Um, you know, pe people who who are who, who would have no chance of being on the black family wall, um, who have a different kind of family legacy, um, and and now we're actually seeing multiple generations of that, and so it's it's almost like a, a two family trees, one kind of symbolic and one um, one one actual and, and and visual, and and we see kind of both those side by side in this chapter. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. Looking at character development, obviously we get Creature who's, who's you know, Ron, unfortunately, at the start of this chapter is locking out of the bedroom because he doesn't like the good room service that Creature provides, which is a bit rude on Ron's, you know, end. He should uh, welcome Creature coming in and, and tucking in uh, his uh, sheets at night time. I mean, who wouldn't want the gross version of Dobby uh, coming in and uh, sort of appearing in uh, nighttime right by their face? A gross version of Dobby. Like, I was not expecting so, that to be so, how you... So that's kind of how I uh... that's how I picture Creature in my head. I like to Dobby think Dobby of... with ear hair. Yeah, kind of just like, like Dobby's already, like house elves are already like a creature that we go like, oh, wow, this is strange, yeah. strange creature. But yeah. Dobby's a very, you know, they made him very like, oh, lovable and cute. And so I just kind yeah. of think, oh, it's the gross version of Dobby. I like it. I like it. Yeah. So the creature there, and then we get obviously, as we mentioned, Alfred Black, we get Regulus Black, Phineas Nigellus, um, and we uh, we see more uh, Phineas Nigellus as the time uh, goes on, and just with um, uh, being the in a portrait in the Dumbledore's office, as well as here, and he's uh, used as a form of communication between uh, the Order of the Phoenix. So it does work out quite nice that Dumbledore has this means of communication from his office straight into um, the uh, the Black family house. Um, and so quite interesting there. Um, uh, Araminta 
and then uh, uh, would you pronounce that sort of uh, flow flowmon? Would that be more French? Flowmon, flowmon Potter, um, yeah. and then Alandora, flowmon. Yeah. It's almost like flamon. Um, and so, just a few names in passing, right? We don't learn a whole lot about these characters; they're just mentioned by name, mm. um, the Black Family Tree, and a few things like that. Um, but uh, you know, these are the kind of characters that we do hear a little bit later, like Regulus, right? That's a a big mm. one that comes back into it and um you know when we're looking at this and i almost want to jump to this because it's it's the most important part maybe the aspect of world building combined with foreshadowing but during their cleaning right it's they find a few interesting objects and i just want to read the part of the 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 book that this comes from but it says there was a musical box that admitted a faintly sinister tickling tune when wound and they found all found themselves becoming curiously weak and sleepy until Ginny had the sense to slam the lid shut. A heavy locket that none of them could open, a number of ancient seals and in a dusty box an order of Merlin first class that had been awarded to Sirius's grandfather for services to the ministry. So within this list we get this little little sentence a heavy locket that none of them could open and here we have that salazar slytherin locket mm. um that is just so unfortunate that gets cleared out and and they can't go back for it and just have an easy horcrux to find they have to obviously go through the whole palaver of it um going into uh, um yeah, umbridge's uh, on her dainty little neck and uh, they have to go through that battle. So here's just this wonderful little moment of of foreshadowing that we can see that, hey, here's just a heavy locket that none of them could open. And um, good thing nobody put it on and started to be kind of influenced by that uh, sort of spirit of Voldemort. Mm. In in world building, we, we also see uh, a very interesting creature known as the Doxies. Um, these are also referred to as biting fairies. I, I couldn't help but think a little bit about pixies um, yeah. all the way back in um, and and interestingly enough, that's where we saw Gilderoy Lockhart in the Defense yeah. Against the Dark Arts classroom. So these really reminded me of that. <laughs> so, um, I, I, and how I, how they suck, how he sucks at telling them how to defeat yes, them. And, yes. and it's like now they're reading his advice on how to get rid of the doxies. And it's like, mate, I would have put that book down long ago. But uh, obviously, there's still a sweet spot in uh, in in uh, uh, Molly's heart for, uh, you know, Gilderoy Lockhart's books. Yes, definitely, and um, and, and Gilderoy is uh, is also going to feature in in this book as well, Blake. Gilderoy in this book here, yeah, we're going to obviously get a little bit more detail into Neville's parents, right? And this is that big mm. like ho moment that we kind of get like whoa, like this is crazy, and it's done through kind of seeing Gilderoy Lockhart first, and then the connection into that sort of long term magical damage ward, um, and then we see uh, Neville's parents, and it's a really big moment to sort of develop Neville as a character and connect him back in with some of those main characters. Mm, mm. So if you have been thinking to yourself over the last two plus books, um, I really am lamenting the lack of, of Gilderoy Lockhart in my life. Hold out. It is coming. It is coming. Yeah. yeah. Um, so like, there's this really interesting kind of blend of, 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 of sport and magic and, and potions within magic when we, we see the doxies being um, hit with this very specific chemical, doxyside. Mm. Yeah, good name that, eh, doxyside. <laughs> just, 
<laughs> you know, what, what do you call a, a, a removal sort of uh, uh, type device uh, or spray? Um, well, yeah, doxycide, you know, that, that that's probably going to sell. And, uh, and obviously it paralyzes them. But more importantly, uh, Fred and George kind of slip a paralyzed doxy into their pockets to uh, experiment later for their products um, for their skiving snack box. And that's kind of when we learn, well, what's the skiving snack box? And uh, they mentioned three of these sweets, um, if they could be described like that, that will allow the the eater to get out of class, to skive off class, and uh, and get out uh, using a puking pastel, a fainting fancy, or a nosebleed nougat. And I want to ask you, Josh, if you had to get out of class, which one are you taking? A puking pastel, Ooh. a fainting fancy, or a nosebleed nougat? Now, this might this might be insulting to you, Blake. Um, okay, okay. Uh, be, because I've never really struggled with nosebleeds myself. Mm, um, okay. And so I think I would choose choose that because I think fainting sounds far too dangerous, and I, I'm worried I wouldn't be able to plan it well, uh, and I think yeah. you could get seriously hurt. And I despise throwing up, um, <laughs> and. And so that just leaves me with one option. And as someone who hasn't had many nosebleeds, just a few, um, I think I would be okay with that. Yeah, I, I think I'd go the nosebleed nougat myself okay, as good. well. I think, okay. I think like looking at that fainting fancies, if you faint, yeah, like I'm assuming, do you wake up and then you will keep fainting if you don't take the other half of the pest that, you know, like the, the sort of the candy kind of thing or like the puking one, like, yeah, I just, I find the nosebleed, at least you have function over swallowing so that if you have a bleeding nose, you know, you run outside the classroom and be like, I'm going to see the nurse. And then you quickly eat your other half of the, the you know, the, the candy and then the, the blood stops, clean yourself up. And now you've got a lesson off, right? So I think I'd go the nosebleed as well. But, but the cool thing with this, and maybe this is a little bit of foreshadowing as well, is we start to see some of this stuff be, um, you know, tested uh, using some of the students uh, and uh, Fred and George themselves at a school and they kind of use it as a testing ground. I think it's pretty clever that they're essentially staying in this year coming back to uh, to test out and do some sort of market testing for their uh, their creations. These Weasley brothers are are really, I think, the only true businessmen or women we see in the whole series. Um, they yeah. are just brilliant. And you really wonder where they learned it all. It seems like a gift. They obviously didn't learn any kind of economics or business or anything remotely similar to that at Hogwarts. Yeah, no, 100% they, they did not. And so uh, I, I would say that um, they have the, the best sort of uh, business smarts that there is for just natural talent, right? And it, it all comes from mischief. Like it, it just comes from yes. that desire to to play jokes and to, to you know, be kind of funny. And, and I think that's wonderful. And then obviously with the little, um, you know, startup uh, injected fund of money that Harry gave them, well, then um, now they're sorted. They're able to kind of play around with some of these things by certain certain materials and things from uh, Mandungus, uh, which is uh, obviously very naughty of them, but they need certain things to try for their, you know, snack box and other range of uh, fun products. So the Weasleys definitely come out on top as um, uh, some of the faves in this chapter, especially when they go up against uh, Umbridge. They're definitely uh, some of my favorite characters in this book because you kind of, you, you need someone, right? 
everybody's getting almost obliterated by umbrage. She's just wearing everybody down. She, obviously, Harry's getting detentions. Someone needs to stand up to this woman, and uh, and the mm. Weasleys do. And uh, I think everybody kind of cheers with them in that moment, thinking, yeah, this is pretty sweet. Yeah, do they ever? They, they Their magic, which is on display really in um, in this book and in the next next book um is is just outstanding and and i love love the ways that we see see that through the eyes of of hermione um who who really struggles to come to terms with um the fact that <laughs> this is Eva. this magic is is both wrong and impressive and then also necessary when it comes to umbridge and yep. it's a it's a great great full circle there yeah, is it is it this book or is it another book when they actually have their joke shop or something where they put a a hat on their head and it sort of it it kind of makes their head invisible but it stops at the mm. neck and I yeah, think Hermione, one, I think. yeah, okay, because yeah. like Hermione's like that, that really is a, a clever piece of magic, you know, like and then I yes. think yes, it's it's in the shop and then they they said and for that you can you know have a discount or whatever they they save but it's kind of like. Hermione's actually really impressed by their magical ability and um she's almost like Mrs. Weasley who doesn't quite see it as something that it mm. is you know purposeful or, or could be you know actually uh um you know usable in society but here they are making a joke shop and making a killing so good on them uh the Weasleys I mean Josh looking at the significance aside from this being the hundredth chapter which is the really the main reason JK Rowling probably thought this chapter was important um we obviously get that foreshadowing little moment of the the locket. Um, you know, mention that again that that that's coming in there just as a little um thing that when we read through it again we notice and it's and it's quite clever. Um, and then aside from that, we just see how how dark uh I guess the the Black family is how dark um uh, Sirius's childhood was, and um and I think it's a, a really important point uh, that we raised all about that kind of love that comes in from other families that sometimes aren't your parents right that that might not be the nicest parents but that love comes from somewhere else and that's quite quite important mm. thanks for listening to today's episode to keep the magic alive you can share the podcast with your friends and someone from your family tree or leave a five-star rating on spotify and apple Podcasts. support us financially at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash pod or head to muffliotopodcast.com to just get in touch to continue the adventure join us next time as we discuss the seventh chapter of harry potter and the order of phoenix the ministry of magic